The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Primal Body, Primal Mind. Your host, Nora Gedgaudis, is here to take you on a fun-filled and informational journey through the mind and your body with a focus on neurofeedback and healthy nutrition and what it can do for you, your family, and friends. Now here's your host, Nora Gedgaudis. Hey, good morning to everybody out there. Happy Wednesday and welcome to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. I'm, of course, your host, Nora Gedgaudis. And I'm looking forward to sharing with you guys another really great show here today. Now, today we're going to be talking about the brain again, and we're going to be talking about a topic that is actually much more complex in many ways than it may appear on the surface of things. We're talking about eating disorders and the profound impact that neurofeedback can have on recovery from eating disorders. Now, Defining the term eating disorders is somewhat of a broad brushstroke and, 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 and also somewhat of a challenge since in some ways there are many different kinds and many potentially uh, different causes for these different kinds of eating disorders. Now, a couple of types of eating disorders many of us are, are familiar with include things like anorexia and bulimia, which is sort of a binging and purging um, issue. And technically, though, there are others. I mean, one could look at the seeming need to overeat, for instance, in this light, as could one look upon certain types of food cravings, perhaps, in this way, too. Now, food and food issues are such a huge thing in our modern Western culture. And as primal humans, the act of eating is a foundational act of daily survival. It's a survival instinct. Now, our ancestors lived in a feast or famine environment, and they needed to work hard, and I mean sometimes really hard, to meet their caloric and nutritional requirements. So overeating would have been kind of a rare luxury, and refusing to eat or something like binging and purging would have been just completely an unheard of compulsion, unless, you know, one was otherwise sick maybe physically. So the modern food industry, of course, is very well schooled in the psychology and even pharmacology of food and food addiction and has, without a doubt, contributed, I think, to the pathology that so many people suffer in this regard. But addictive substances such as sugar, high fructose corn syrup, MSG, you know, just to name a few, have an undeniable impact on brain chemistry and no doubt have a role to play in eating disorders of all kinds. Nutritional deficiencies, too, can predispose a person to a really unhealthy preoccupation with food. And issues like anorexia or binging and purging, um, which is, of course, bulimia, can lead to serious depletions. Apart from doing just serious damage uh, to the body in some ways, can also lead to really serious depletions of key nutrients such as zinc, water-soluble nutrients, and electrolytes. 
In fact, these depletions themselves can become part of the self-perpetuating problem. Well, what is happening in the brain and the mind of somebody suffering from an eating disorder? What are the psychological foundations and influences of all this? And what role might nutritional deficiencies play in the development and possibly recovery from these disorders? How can neurofeedback help? Well, addressing eating disorders from a nutritional standpoint is an extremely involved subject and something I could easily spend an hour talking about all by myself. I mean, we may get a chance to touch upon this in the show today, but our focus today is going to be more specifically on the ways in which our brains and nervous systems contribute to this issue and how neurofeedback brain training can really help. Uh, Joining us today to talk about all this is Sue Othmer of the EEG Institute. Now, Sue has been involved in clinical research and development of EEG biofeedback protocols since 1988. She teaches professional training courses in EEG biofeedback, and presents clinical research findings in professional forums. Sue also happens to be my own most valued mentor in my own work as a neurofeedback provider, so it is my honor and great privilege to welcome Sue Othmer to the show today. Welcome, Sue. Thank you, Nora. It's lovely to be back. Yeah, it's really wonderful having you back. Um, You're always a very popular guest on this show. So, you know, when we talk about eating disorders, of course, we're really, we really kind of need to break the subject down a bit, uh, maybe quite a bit, and maybe talk about some of the different things that make up the definition of an actual eating disorder, for instance. Um, I think we need to clarify whether we're talking about something like anorexia or bulimia or overeating or obsessive cravings. Um, you know, as neurofeedback providers, of course, we really see all of these, but there are similarities and differences too, and what underlies each of these problems. What's your take on all that? Well, when we're working uh, neurofeedback, you know, with, with any human being, food is an issue. You know, we, we'd like to all be the, the cowboy who eats when he's hungry and drinks when he's dry, but, you know, that's, that's not a attainable uh, goal for, for most of us. Food is, as you say, it, it's a survival necessity for nutrition, but it's also wrapped around our earliest life experiences, our attachments, our social customs, our you know <clears throat> social traditions with people, yeah. and and so it, it it marbles through every aspect. So when we're doing neurofeedback, <clears throat> we're always asking about these issues, and we're breaking breaking the symptoms down into pieces that relate to the different tools that we have in terms of neurofeedback. So we might, for instance, say, you know, is this an appetite problem? Is it a, um, is it a behavior problem? It, you know, an, an overeating, an addiction problem? Is it, is it that you just don't know whether you're hungry or full? Is it that you're, you're compulsively craving? Is it you're, are you eating or using food as a substance to calm yourself down or escape from pain? Is it an addiction? As you say, there, there are lots of different categories. There. Oh, yeah. I mean, one thing I would suspect would be common to many, if not most of these, would be perhaps a, an early trauma history. Um, and, and in some ways, um, in some cases, we may be talking about some of the same things that you and I talked about on an earlier show, which was post-traumatic stress disorder. Yes, and whether, and whether we have trauma or not, food is central to that in first attachment, right? Yep, exactly. And we all have attachment issues in the sense that we're human beings and there were particulars to those early attachments, but that food was central to that first attachment to our mothers. 
So that, you know, that carries through our whole lives. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, one thing that I've noticed, too, is, you know, with the people that I've worked with in, in this regard, um, is certainly one thing I've noticed is true in most cases, for instance, of anorexia and bulimia, tends to be a very tightly wound sort of type A perfectionistic personality sort of together with uh, having maybe been raised in a highly controlling environment as a child. Yeah, I see anorexia and bulimia as as fairly one of the more complicated issues, obviously, and it it almost goes in, in my mind, into the self-injurious behavior category. Yeah. So, so along with cutting and biting yeah. and that sort of thing. Could be, oh, that's a really good point. Because yeah. the binging, I mean, you, you, you think, my God, why, why would someone do that? And yet there's, there's, there's a payoff. Not only is there a drive, but there's a payoff to it, which is similar to the, um, to the cutting. And, and the payoff is that you get an endorphin release when mm-hmm. you injure yourself. And why would you do that? You have to be so miserable. Yet, tense and wound up for sure, but also living with a lot of pain so that the endorphin gives you a, a momentary release from that pain. And, I mean, the, the consequences, the long-term consequences are horrible, but in the in the moment somehow that makes sense to the brain to, to escape that pain. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, and that's a really, really great point about that because I guess I've noticed uh, those kinds of uh, issues in those populations too. Um, in fact, you know, uh, I once uh, suffered an eating disorder uh, close to 30 years ago now. Now it turns out, um, uh, and it was, and it was for me, it was the, it was a bulimia thing. And it turns out too, I was also a, a vegetarian at the time, and, and, and actually pretty depleted, I think, of a lot of important things when I look back on it. Now, I, once I restored a healthier complement of animal source foods to my diet, the problem for me simply went away. But this was many years before uh, neurofeedback came along. But I also think many of the underlying things that apply on a brain and nervous system and sort of personal history basis to most people with this issue probably once applied to me too. Um, but dietary issues were my breaking point at the time, and I guess we're all only as strong as our weakest link. Well, yeah, and the way we look at neurofeedback as being very fundamental, you know, it's about physiological organization, your ability to manage your physiology, and that's that's fundamental to many of the higher levels of our functioning, but below the, the neurophysiology is the nutrition. So we always have an eye out for that. From the beginning, you know, is there some nutritional deficiency or something that's going to block what we need to do with the neurofeedback do I need well, to right. tend to? But then more usually, okay, after I've dealt with getting the, your, your, your brain to cooperate with you instead of to oppose you, <clears throat> now we need to go learn better habits, that, you know, information about what we should be eating, change our habits about what we're eating, then nutrition becomes possible. Right. When I start with people, people maybe who are addicted to sugar, and they, they know that, they know they should do something different, but they can't or they won't. And so I say, well, okay, the nice thing about neurofeedback is that it quickly addresses that problem so you won't have the cravings so you will be able to make better food choices. You know, I know People still have to make good food choices. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I remember once working, this is a little off topic, but working with a person who is actively an alcoholic, actually. Um, that wasn't why he came to me. He was coming to me for other issues like sort of anxiety, depression, whatever, for which he was sort of self-medicating with alcohol. 
and neurofeedback got him to a place where he felt better enough that that dealing with the alcohol issue then became easy for him or much easier for him because he felt a lot more uh, robust and resilient um, emotionally and psychologically to where he could deal with making a change in, in his diet, making a change in the way he was doing things. He didn't feel as strong an overpowering need to self-medicate. Um, so that was, that was really, really helpful in that regard. But I know one thing that I'm really fond of saying is that really all the best brain training in the world can't put a nutrient there that's not there and it can't take away some offending substance that doesn't belong there. The brain and the body really need certain raw materials in order to function. So it, it can become a little bit of a catch-22 when, when we're dealing with these populations. If they're really that depleted, does the brain necessarily have enough to work with? And that's, that's a question, of course, that I, you know, as a nutritional therapist, I'm always watching out for. And that's our challenge as, as clinicians, as, you know, for this particular individual, what are the critical pieces? And, and what, is, what is the thing I should do first and second and third? You know, what, what is the most efficient path from where we are to where we need to be? And, and there are a lot of factors. I mean, we, I'm my, in my work, I'm focused on the neurofeedback, but I've definitely got my eye out for what could undermine my good work here and where else do I need to refer this person or... Right, right. And I guess, you know, our, our, our sort of way of approaching things is, you know, do what we know how to do, see what we get, and see what's left over, you know. Right. And then see what it is we need to do from there to maybe, you know, move things the next, next notch along. And, yeah. Uh, well, starting at the, at the easier end of this, it, it, this issue of appetite awareness yeah. is so common. I mean, it's basically all the ADD people grown up. It's, you know, the whole developmental disorder people, the autistic spectrum, just lots and lots of folks really don't know when they're hungry and when they're full. You know, <laughs> actually, I, I, I want to save what you're about to say for our next segment because we can really get into that. Um, we have to go to a commercial break right now, our very first commercial break. So, um, so I hope everybody will stick around because we have a real treat. We have Sue Osmer from the EEG Institute. We're talking today about eating disorders, and you are listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. My name is Nora Gadgaudis. I'm your host, and we will be back in just a minute. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. NBC science consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgaudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended, a jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, If you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Want to learn more about neurofeedback? Want to find a trained clinician for yourself or for a loved one? 
Or maybe you are a professional looking to offer this powerful, non-invasive technique to improve results for your toughest clients. At EEG Info, we are the leading provider of neurofeedback resources, videos, and training for the next generation of neurofeedback professionals. If you want to improve symptoms of emotional and behavioral dysfunction, this non-invasive approach is the answer you've been looking for. Neurofeedback is successful in helping people of all ages achieve a feeling of greater health and well-being. Visit us at eeginfo.com today to learn more about neurofeedback or to find a local clinician who can help you or someone you love. Unlock the full potential of your brain today. Visit eeginfo.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Well, welcome back to the show. Uh, we're here today talking with Sue Osmer of the EEG Institute about eating disorders and all the different aspects of that and, and how neurofeedback can impact uh, you know, eating disorders and the recovery from eating disorders. And right before we went to break, uh, Sue was making the point about, about appetite awareness. And, um, you know, certainly one thing that I've noticed is that a lot of very tightly wound people just simply have no relationship with their own bodies. They just don't even know whether they're hungry or not or whether they're actually full in, uh, until it starts to hurt. I, I actually see this as a high arousal marker, and, yeah. and this makes sense because high arousal is emergency mode, and we all know that when we're in a situation where we need to deal with an emergency, we don't have time to either plan for tomorrow and reflect on yesterday, so the higher function, and we also don't have time to take care of our biological needs, take care of our body, go to the bathroom, no, eat, digest. Know, we need, yeah, digest, no, we need to eat. Those things sort of get to decide until after we've dealt with the emergency. Well, if you live your life in emergency mode, this gets to be a problem. So this, I have this conversation with people in the evaluation, so tell me about um, appetite. Do you, do you know when you're hungry, when you're full? Well, there are lots of people who don't know, and of course they don't know that they don't know. They, right, exactly. Everybody else is like them, so they kind of report on what they're trying to do and how they're trying to eat. And it's like, yeah, but would you forget to eat? Well, yeah, I'm trying to remember to eat breakfast. Okay, and when you eat, do you um, do you know when you've had enough or is your first sign that your stomach hurts or that, you know, that you're in pain in some way or you need to loosen your belt? And they go, what? And you mean other people just know when they've had enough? That's a uh-huh. concept. And then when we train, we train the sort of right parietal, the part of the brain where the body is mapped, and we train down to, to ease that over arousal. It's really funny because right in the session, I've, I've worked with these kids who, you know, it's your life's worth to get food into them, right? The parent just can't get this kid to eat. Right. And I'll be sitting there in the session, and I'll be taking the reward frequency down. The kid looks around and says, can we stop by McDonald's on the way home? Like, good start, good start. Yeah, I think we're on to something here. However, maybe we'll stop by, uh, you know, the farmer's market instead. <laughs> yes, then the parent has to redirect the head a little bit. But it can exactly. go either way. Either the person is not eating or they're eating too much. So uh, typical ADD 
person, you know, becomes an adult and he's out to lunch and, you know, he eats all the rolls and it's like, uh, rolls? Were they rolls? Did somebody eat the rolls? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and he's just, and he's eating and he, and he doesn't know. So people might be overweight or underweight, but lots of people have this problem of not being in touch with their body and knowing their own appetite. You know, it, it, it's sort of an aside issue, but you know, a lot of these kids with ADD, you know, they're on Ritalin or Concerta or, or you know, Adderall or something, which of course tend to have that sort of appetite suppressant effect. And, and a lot of these kids are underweight and having trouble eating enough, and um, have their blood sugar all messed up because they're on stimulants and all that kind of thing. And so that's something too that. Um, that, you know, again, training the brain down into calmer states in, in, in a manner of speaking, sort of compensating in some respects for the stimulants some of these kids are on can really help them start to put some weight on and you know, get a little bit better in touch with um, this little thing called hunger. Yeah, and, and even more importantly, because we can deal with the attention issues, it allows them to come down off the medications because sometimes it's hard to counteract the side effects of the medication while the medicine's still there. problem with medicines is sometimes you get off of them and you still have the side effects, so right. like ticks and so forth. So if we can ramp the person down off the meds or at least to a lower dose, then there's less side effects uh, for us to deal with, and that, that's certainly an issue. Yeah, yeah, I do find there are times um, when I'm working with an individual that I feel, in some ways, what I'm what I'm doing is actually trying to compensate <laughs> for, you know, the medication that the person happens to be on. Yeah, absolutely. And then the autistic kids, you know, the kids with the developmental disorders, often don't eat, or because they have these uh, sensory issues, right? They they are hypersensitive to the smell or the feel of the food. And or the texture, texture, right. Right. So they'll have these very restricted food choices. They'll only eat, you know, macaroni and cheese and, um, you know, nothing else. And you're like, you think, my God, <laughs> what's happening to that, that physiology? And so we do see routinely with the autistic kids when they calm down, they they become more flexible and then their food choices expand and that makes everybody's life a lot easier and of course their nutrition a lot more satisfactory. Yeah, yeah, it definitely helps. So I know eating disorders are of course uh, much more common really in general in females than than males, which of course likely has to do with all the social conditioning, you know, males and females have in our culture around weight and physical appearances. Yeah, we solve our problems differently too. It's like when you look at the, the little ADD kids, the the boys and the girls who are ADD tend to um, express that in different ways. Right, and the girls get ignored because they're staring. They don't the hit and yell and run around. They do it uh, differently, and so I think there's some reason to think that women are solving their emotional problems would be more apt to solve that with food, okay. perhaps than men do. That's 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 an interesting way of thinking about it. I hadn't really considered that, but I think that's probably really true. Because a lot of it, it, a lot of it is self-medication, right? Whether it's medication or foods, um, a lot of people are trying to solve the problem of calming themselves down, dealing with their depression, their anxiety, their agitation, and so they're eating the carbs or or something like that to to kind of pacify their their physiology, which is a little different from, you know, full-on addiction, I think, but just just as a self-management process. And then if we can deal with successfully with neurofeedback, 
with the depression and the anxiety and the agitation, then there is not, there's no longer that need. The thing, thing I love about neurofeedback is that these behaviors that we develop to manage ourselves just fall away when they're no longer necessary. In fact, we have to, you know, as you well know, we have to write everything down and ask about it because they fall away and they're forgotten. Exactly. Like I, I had a woman I worked with quite a few years ago with um, bulimia who would binge and she had been binging and purging every day for 20 years. Wow. And she came uh, to do neurofeedback and this was, a, this was really early days and we were doing some prefrontal training with her and which we just sort of discovered, and uh, she came back in. I remember asking her about it, and, no, nothing's different, nothing's different. You know, and you, and, well, what about the binge? She, oh, yeah, I forgot. I forgot to binge. Oh, yeah. Her. I <laughs> forgot. Every day for 20 years, <laughs> and she forgot, and she didn't think that was worth noticing. But she, you know, forgot to tell me. <laughs> so we, we have to ask. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's one of the things I do is, of course, I keep a progress chart because, uh, where we have all of these goals written down where that people get to look at every single time they come in. And, you know, if you just rely on them, on people trying to remember when they come through the door, well, how are you doing since I saw, oh, you know, oh, I'm okay. Well, any changes? Well, no, not really. Oh, okay. So they'll sit down and then I hand them the chart and they go, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's true. I am sleeping a little better and I am this and that. And you, oftentimes once these problems go away for people, they forget that they ever had them in the first place. Well, that's healthy, healthy behavior, right? Right. Um, I would, we shouldn't hold on to our... We shouldn't be dwelling, yes. Our miseries, exactly. That's another kind of problem. So, uh, yeah, that's our job to try to remember. Yeah. Makes for humorous conversations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. One thing um, that I notice too in in individuals with uh, you know with these eating disorders is that anxiety is almost always an overriding component in individuals like this. It's either anxiety or anxiety to exhaustion in the form of depression for some people. Yes, yes. Well, I, you know, we've talked about this that given the general population of people who come for neurofeedback. It's our increasing experience here that most people need to calm down a lot, and I think that that's the human condition. Probably also the uh, you know modern Western city civilization condition too. I think everything we're doing in our culture, our culture drives us into high arousal, and um, and drives and provides all these addictive sorts of substances and and toys and behaviors for us. So. Most everybody's pretty amped up, and we just calm people down. We do a lot. Yeah, everything in our culture is really set up. Um, everything in the way our our food supply is put together, and uh, you know, it being you know, and our exposure to chronic exposure to EMF, and, and and people's constant fears and worries around everything from terrorism to the economy to you know whether they're going to lose their job or not, and. Everything has just got people in a state of fight or flight pretty well 24-7, and we're just not designed that way. I mean, we're designed to be in a nice, calm, relaxed, parasympathetic state about 99.9% of the time, uh, you know, and then maybe that 0.1% of the time go into that state of emergency and then, you know, uh, go back to Tahiti again. Absolutely. And uh, our culture has flip-flopped that in a way that, you know, makes, I think, the prevalence of of eating disorders, just this unprecedented thing that I'm guessing is going to get 
a whole lot worse before it ever gets better. Right. So, you know, there's kind of a parallel to the way we see a lot of problems here with neurofeedback. We're looking at to what extent is your problem related to being just too amped up or slowed down, and usually that's a too amped up. So we need to do a lot of calming, and people can use food to be trying to soothe themselves. Or dissociate. Right. And then there's a big issue with us around food and also other sorts of behaviors of this issue of uh, disinhibition, so that we, you know, we have this prefrontal cortex that is our executive function that sort of controls and appropriately inhibits our more uh, core primitive kinds of behaviors. And when that's not working well, maybe we have ADD, but maybe we also have disinhibited sort of compulsive behaviors. So some people with food issues are compulsive eaters, and they're just. Uh, it's not about hunger. It's right. about I could be eating this. I could be, you know, it's just sort of a stuck record. I could be eating this. I could be eating that. And the, it, way back when, when we first finally sort of started to do prefrontal training, so so as to normalize and improve that prefrontal control, I remember doing that on myself and coming home, and uh, you know, doing some work. Uh, I was doing something at home for work, and I'm like, my stomach was grumbling, and I'm thinking. Hmm, I should, uh, I must be hungry. I should eat something, you know. And then it's like, nah, I can't think of anything I want to eat right now. And I went back to working a little bit, and my stomach was going, yeah, I should eat something. And finally I thought, who's having this conversation here? You know, <laughs> usually it's like, I could be eating this, I could be eating that. Uh, no, no, you're not hungry, don't do that, right? right. And all of a sudden it had flipped. So that's, that's a huge piece. The, you know, getting people in their cal- body and getting them calmer is a huge piece. Getting that control mechanism in place is a huge piece, too so that we're not at war with our deeper urges all the time. And then, as you mentioned, the third big piece is the learned piece that is involved with trauma, with early attachment and so forth, which leads to the more addictive sorts of behaviors. You know, one of the things that I find uh, pretty consistently with uh, whatever kind of neurofeedback work I'm doing with people is sort of the side effect of the process is in people becoming more aware of themselves because we're constantly asking people to check in and you know how are you doing what are you noticing are you more relaxed or less relaxed more tense or less tense you have a headache you know is, is anything going on and people will report to me after a while that that they find themselves taking more inventory um, noticing themselves more just by virtue of undergoing the process it's pretty interesting Well, folks, we have to go to another commercial break, and we will be back in just a minute. You are listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. I am Nora Gagoudis. We are here today with Sue Othmer discussing eating disorders, and we will be back in just a minute. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. NBC science consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgaudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended, a jewel. 
Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, if you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Want to learn more about neurofeedback? Want to find a trained clinician for yourself or for a loved one? Or maybe you are a professional looking to offer this powerful, non-invasive technique to improve results for your toughest clients. At EEG Info, we are the leading provider of neurofeedback resources, videos, and training for the next generation of neurofeedback professionals. If you want to improve symptoms of emotional and behavioral dysfunction, this non-invasive approach is the answer you've been looking for. Neurofeedback is successful in helping people of all ages achieve a feeling of greater health and well-being. Visit us at eeginfo.com today to learn more about neurofeedback or to find a local clinician who can help you or someone you love. Unlock the full potential of your brain today. Visit eeginfo.com. The Interstate Sportsman Talk radio show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice America Network with hunting and fishing info news, talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join hosts Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern, for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're talking today with Sue Osmer from the EEG Institute, and we're addressing the whole topic of, of eating disorders and particularly and how the brain and the nervous system uh, contribute to eating disorders, and, of course, how neurofeedback, how brain training can actually help a person learn to, to manage and even recover uh, from these uh, kinds of issues. And uh, I'm just a little curious, um, Sue, what, it, this is a little bit shifting gears, but what's the history of addressing all these various forms of eating disorders uh, using neurofeedback. You know, when did you first notice that this had an effect on all that? Good question. Well, we, we've learned basically all of this just by stumbling into it. Uh, when we got involved with neurofeedback back in 1985, um, what, what was known, at least to us that time, it had developed as a means to work with uh, seizures and then ADHD. And there was sort of a parallel track with... Um, the deep state alpha theta work, working with addictions, and we just started working with folks, and and all these things started to change. And then we, you know, when something happens once, and you say, oh, 
wow, that's interesting. I wonder if we had something to do with that. <laughs> and then you do it a few more times, and you go, hmm, you know, sensing a trend here. This, this does seem to be something we do. And then when you think about it, it's like, well, of course, of course, the brain's involved in that loop. You know, of course, that makes sense. And then we've been able to break it down over the years to. You know, what's the prefrontal piece? What's the body awareness parietal piece? What's the deep state piece? But you, you raised an interesting question or point. You said that the nerve feedback is like a, a mirror. It allows the person to experience themselves in a different way. So let me take that one step farther because I think it's a really important point that the nerve feedback, you know, mirrors back to the brain its own activity and allows the brain to experience that, to engage with it, and then by that route to actually improve it and self-regulate. So we have two mirrors. We have sort of the physiological self-regulation mirror, our sort of awake state training, where the brain observes and engages and learns to be calmer, learns to be more organized, learns to have inhibitory control. Yes. And then we have the the deep state mirror, the alpha-theta mirror, which then uh, <clears throat> leads the brain to, to experience its own deep states, and that allows then this psychological resolution, allows us to uh, uncover and change our habits. So that takes us back to the attachment issues, the, the early, you know, the, the, the child who was deprived of food or rewarded with food, all those, you know, deep uh, learned experiences, and so we're now in a position, understanding these tools the way we do now, to be able to put those two pieces and multiple pieces together for each person. And you know, some things are harder than others, but it's really quite amazing how far we can go now. Right, and you know, then and you know, and again for me, like right before we went to break, I was, I was, you know, I noticed too, just that that that. Well, I would propose maybe third mirror that that conscious mirror that people develop, because we sort of train people in the course of what we're doing. Um, I would say more in kind of uh, uh, you know in that sort of more psychological on that more psychological level, we sort of train them to pay more attention to themselves in a conscious way, um, and it's not necessarily what we what we think we're setting out to do, but. Because we're constantly asking these questions and, 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 you know, a couple times a week people are coming in and we're asking the same, you know, how are you feeling, how are you functioning in these particular areas, you know, in the areas that we've targeted. Um, people find themselves noticing, um, you know, just sort of habitually noticing more about how they feel and, and how they, uh, and how they function and, uh, it, where I think a lot of people are just sort of used to going through their day and not paying attention to any of that. It's such an interesting relationship we have with the client in neurofeedback because it, it is this shoulder-to-shoulder thing where we, as two people, look at the client's nervous system. So the, the conscious person, uh, I, I sometimes I think the, con- the role of the conscious mind is to observe and report, right? So we're asking people, we, we don't ask in a confrontational, why, well, why did you do that? Why don't you not do that? You know, take responsibility. We're more saying, really? Um, you did that. Why do you think you did that? What was going on in your physiology when that happened? So we can sort of sit and talk about the nervous system the way we talk about a child's behavior or something. And so people like that. It's empowering. They get to feel like they have some control over something. And then, as you say, it leads to this more constructive sort of uh, observation of yourself. 
and then you start to experience that empowerment, I do have some control. Because my physiology is cooperating with me, because my psychology is cooperating with me, I, the person talking to you, actually have some control over this shift now. Whereas <laughs> Healthy before, control, yes. You know, right, it was, right, not, not the bare white knuckle control, but, but ease of good decision making and, and good control. Now, we actually have somebody who has called into the show uh, and wants to ask a question of, of you. Uh, her name is Linnea, and she's calling from Washington. Okay. Are you there, Linnea? I'm here. Hi. Hi there. I was just wondering, I'm a new um, NFB uh, practitioner, and I have a client that was diagnosed with the Ring of Fire, and I'm assuming that that's a, you know, a high arousal state also, um, but in particular, um, this client is, has the display of increased eating, hunger, um, and uh, carb craving, uh, decreased activity, um, is no longer on medication, um, was on Ritalin for um, ADD, and responded quite well with NFB. Um, just NFB curious, being neurofeedback, by the way. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious what... As a practitioner, I'm not finding a whole lot of um, uh, information available about the Ring of Fire and protocols to use with that. Um, I seem to be having some pretty good success with um, treating the high arousal. Um, would you suggest that with, because this is the, 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 the parent's uh, concern right now, is, is the change with the eating and uh, those type of behaviors, would I continue, continue with um, uh, treating high arousal? This is a child? Yes. Yeah, I, I usually look at that ring of fire as sort of lining up with maybe the bipolar child uh, diagnosis or tendencies. And so we would understand that as, uh, yes, serious high arousal. Also, y even though there are instabilities there, I, I would want to focus on right brain training first. And, you know, that the, the right parietal, the T4-P4, really brings down that physical arousal and helps the person be more aware of their appetite and so forth. And the right prefrontal, like the T4-SP2, brings down the emotional reactivity, which is usually a big issue with kids like that. Great. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. Okay, so... So with Sue, there's a there's a physical dimension to this whole uh, you know thing of with eating disorders. There's an emotional dimension, a cognitive dimension, a subconscious and trauma oriented or PTSD dimension, and of course a cultural dimension and a dietary nutritional dimension. Now one would think, of course, neurofeedback would be possibly helpful for all of these. Well, except maybe the cultural, but and the uh, maybe dietary nutritional dimension. Um, but there's a theoretical basis for even getting somewhere with that using neurofeedback. Um, you know, these folks are typically pretty emotionally and physiologically stressed. And when you're stressed, of course, you have to triple your rate of, of zinc excretion, for instance, which, you know, a deficiency of zinc is often associated with these uh, disorders, in fact. You also blow through water-soluble nutrients like B vitamins, which are, of course, needed for a properly functioning nervous system and many other things vitamin C and electrolytes. So by doing quality neurofeedback brain training, one is effectively raising one's stress threshold where the stress-related nutrient depletion isn't as likely to occur. So it's kind of another dimension to neurofeedback that isn't often considered or talked about. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's this cascade of, of dysregulation that people get into, right? And then they don't sleep well, and then they don't eat well, and then they don't absorb well. And they, you know, so you, we're used to seeing people on this downward spiral. And with neurofeedback, we can often turn people around to where they get more on an upward spiral, right? And where everything starts to work better for you. And the way I like to think about neurofeedback is that it, it, because it's a rather precise tool and a very strong and quick tool, it helps us figure out what the problem is. Because we listen to people's symptoms and their history and so forth, and we try to make sense in our minds. We try to make a model of what's going on. Yes. But then we just test that model. We say, okay, well, really looks like high arousal. Let's just ramp that down. And then we go, okay, well, it helped this aspect, but it didn't help that aspect. I guess those are two different things. Let me think differently about that other thing. So it's really fun. You just there's the arousal issue, there's the control issue, there's the deep state issues of the learned behavior, and you just go, okay, time to move to the next piece, time to do the next piece, and um, and you know usually that's quite successful. And then there's also, as you say, there's like okay, time to go see the nutritionist, time to talk about diet because in the beginning. I'll be talking to somebody about not eating sugar or something, and they, they're not going to hear it, right? Right. So they're physiologically able. Right. I'm not here for that. I'm here for brain training. Right. Right. Yep. Well, we, have, of course, have to take uh, our last uh, uh, station break, so we'll do that right now, and we'll be back in just a minute. So I hope everybody sticks around. I'm Nora Gaudis. You're listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio, and we will be back in just a minute. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. NBC Science Consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgaudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended, a jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, If you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Well, welcome back to our show. We've been talking today with Sue Othmer from the EEG Institute about the whole subject of eating disorders and how, as neurofeedback providers, we approach uh, eating disorders, what this says about the brain, what this says about the nervous system. It's really been a fascinating discussion. And uh, when we were on break, we were talking about the, maybe the need to venture a little bit into the whole realm of obesity and the whole realm of, of, of food addiction as sort of uh, as part of this topic. Right. So, you know, this is generally true with neurofeedback that if we, um, the easier end of the spectrum for us is just getting the physiology regulated. Oh, you now you know when you're hungry and full. Now you don't not compulsive about eating anymore. Now you don't need to eat in order to, to calm down. That's on our easier um, end. The harder end for us is whether it's food or, or other substances is full-on addiction because what's characteristic of the addiction People are, are are seeking reward. They're not getting reward from their normal life, and they're seeking reward through the substance or the behavior. And there's a and there's a lack of recognition that it's a problem, right? It, it's just right. it is how the world is. It's not seen as this is bothering me. I wish I couldn't do this. It's just who I am. Do you have a problem with that, right? Right. right. So usually, uh, people with addictions, the nerve feedback is still very very effective and helpful. But people need a lot more structure. So they need, as with what we know about AA and so forth, they need the, the support to keep them on track, and they need huge changes, lifestyle changes, behavior changes, you know, social network changes and so forth to support that change. Because we're having to sort of reorganize your whole personality uh, in order to live in a different way. Well, and, and I think part of it, too, is, is helping people recognize through the process of neurofeedback that they are not necessarily their behaviors. In other words, people tend to overly identify with whatever they've come in with. And I am, you know, um, uh, a bulimic or I, I am an addict uh, as part of their identity somehow, as, it, as if there was absolutely nothing, that whatever that could be done about it. And... Um, and of course, we look upon those things as, as just sort of dysregulations. <laughs> that you know, when the brain, you know, learns to function a little differently, learns to become more in touch with itself, learns to um, learns to calm down, learns to be able to self-regulate. That a lot of these things that we think of as entrenched aspects of our pers- unwelcome entrenched aspects of our persona just sort of either fall away or, or open up to being able to be modified uh, by other things. People are always saying to me, well, y- you can't change that. I've had that all my life. Exactly. Or, or, or my, all my family has that problem. I don't expect you to change that. And I'm like, but I expect me to change that. That's something that we do. But I do make a distinction between the physiological dysregulation that we do so, you know, we work with so, so quickly, and the personality disorders where there really is not that separation. I mean, the person who's had migraines her whole life can't imagine life without the migraines, and that's a big adjustment and so forth. But the addict or the personality disorder person really sort of doesn't make that separation at all. They are their, prob- their problem, and they don't see a problem with it. 
Oh, yeah. And so um, I had. Or maybe a, they do, and they just don't think anything can be done. Well, I'm I'm humbled by trying to work with these folks, and yeah. it, as I say, it's very helpful. But I, I'm I'm humbled in trying to just do nerve feedback because these folks with full-on addictions, like with the alcohol addictions and drug addictions, sort of need a larger program to help them change because it's not just right. It's a multi-layered thing. Really, really more more complex. Yeah, yeah, for sure it is. Um, so, you know, why? Oh, I was just going to say here. Let's. See, I'm, I'm looking at some emails that I got from individuals who knew you were going to be on the show today and were really interested in in uh, in, in talking about it. Uh, who do you think is most vulnerable? Um, there was somebody asked the question of who who's most vulnerable. Uh, to eating disorders. Hmm. Well, I think um, there's there's the physiological vulnerability. You know, it's just like we trace migraines and depression and so forth. You know, genetically, the, these vulnerabilities persist, and so there can be vulnerabilities to to compulsive eating and and hypoglycemia uh, and and sugar craving and so forth. Yep. So on a physiological inherited level, there's a vulnerability there. But but I think you were right earlier about the trauma that the the early trauma sets people up for the more complicated eating disorders. Yeah, that's true for sure. Um, somebody else wanted to know: Does the neurofeedback work over the long term for this issue? Does it work immediately, or how does that how does that happen? <laughs> well, both. Yes. <laughs> um, the, the beauty of neurofeedback, and as we've developed it over the years and learned to do this in stronger and more effective ways. Beauty is that you see an effect really quickly, like in the first session or in the few, first few sessions, so that you can tell whether you're doing something useful. Of course, you need to keep going to get a permanent effect, but you can, you can, we can find our way as we go and, and stay on a good track. The idea about keeping it is that what we're doing, it's not like a medication where we're just pushing the brain to a different state. We're actually teaching the brain the skill of self-regulation. We're, we're pulling it. We're not pushing. Right. So teaching if you do it, it enough to... that the brain, uh, you know, can solidify that gain, then, of course, it's, it's yours. You're not going to, your brain's not going to forget. Exactly. So it's basically helping the brain learn how to manage itself. Yeah, the stuff that's supposed to come for free, you know, that yep. we're supposed to just be able to do all of that. Yeah. And if, if you can't, that's like, you know, how do you breathe? How do you walk? How do you manage your blood sugar level, you can't think your way into that. You really need the nerve feedback. Yep. Well, Sue, I'm sure you hear the music there. I mean, as always, you do such a magnificent job of of bringing clarity to even the most complex of issues. Uh, You know, I'm sure that there have been a lot of people listening today that feel, uh, easily feel a renewed sense of hope and, and understanding about their own suffering and others that uh, maybe better understand certain people in their life, um, hopefully in ways that better equip them to find help. So if people are interested in finding a neurofeedback practitioner near them, they can go to this website. It's www.eegdirectory.com. And if they want to find you specifically, Sue, how can they do that? Well, they can find me on the directory. They can find me at the EEG Institute. So you could go to eeginstitute.com, find our address and phone number on there. Great. And, of course, my own neurofeedback practice uh, can be found at www.northwest, the whole word, northwest, dash, 
neurofeedback.com. Sue, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk about this today. Really valuable stuff. My pleasure, Nora. Oh, I hope to have you on again. This is always really wonderful. And for the rest of everybody out there, please tune in next week when we're going to be welcoming Chrissy Zarpour of Cuckoo Land Farms. It's a first-rate, diversified, organic, and biodynamic farm located in the Carlton Yamhill America sort of uh, wine-growing region in the foothills of the Oregon Coast Range. Kukulan maintains quite an array of livestock and has fruit-bearing trees and a vegetable garden. So join us as we'll be talking about life on the farm, what it takes to make real food. I would like to thank my sponsors, the EEG Institute, offering the most trusted and respected source of information and training for neurofeedback, truly world leaders in the field. You can reach the EEG Institute at www.eeginfo.com or at 818-456-5965. I would also like to thank the Nutritional Therapy Association, the NTA, for their generous sponsorship. The NTA is the best, most trustworthy and reliable source of foundational nutritional education and nutritional therapist training here in the U.S. and possibly the known universe. I just can't say enough good things about this organization. You can find the Nutritional Therapy Association at www.nutritionaltherapy.com or you can call 1-800-918-9798. That's 1-800-918-9798. Tell Marcy Nora sent you. Thanks, too, to Biotics Northwest, the source for exceptional healthcare practitioner quality supplements, for every health professional, you can reach them at www.bioticsnorthwest.com or at 1-800-636-6913. Also, be sure to visit my website at www.primalbody-primalmind.com where you can also get my book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, Empower Your Health, Your Total Health, The Way Evolution Intended and Didn't. Thanks again for listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio, hosted by Nora Gedgaudis. Come back for another great program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. And have a great week.